What is going on, tribe? It's your man Clef, and this is episode 24 of the Social African Show. You already know it's the Social African Show where we chop it up with entrepreneurs of African origin. Today, we've got none other than my sister. Sashan Ferron Josephs is in the building, tribe. Hey. What is going on, Sashan? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Awesome. I'm very well. Thanks for checking in. Are you ready to rock the show? Yes, I am. Ah, let's do it. For those who don't know, Sashan Ferron Josephs is the founder of The Womb Room, an organization that aims to increase reproductive health awareness for women and girls. Sashan founded The Womb Room in October 2011, and since it has grown into a network of women with the knowledge and tools to reconnect with their womanhood. Sashan, I've given the tribe a little bit about you. Take it away. Let's talk a bit about your private life and a bit about your heritage as well. Okay. Where do you, where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> What's your family like? Big family, mom, dad, brothers, sisters? No, I'm an only child, but I grew up with my cousin and we lived together from we were about four or five up until we were about 16. So we basically grew up like sisters, but the rest of my family, I've got loads of aunts, cousins, uncles. It's quite, quite a big extended family. Wow. Uh, but let's talk heritage, your Caribbean and what, what's your uh, background? Yeah. So both of my parents are mixed. So my mom is half Jamaican and Irish descent. And my dad is, both of my dad's parents are Jamaican, but one of them is native, um, like Indian, like Arawak on my dad's side. But when we traced our family history back, um, we traced it back to predominantly like Nigeria, Cameroon, parts of Congo. Yeah, so quite interesting. <laughs> interesting. Have you ever been to Africa? No, I haven't. And I find it's like, my friends keep inviting me to Nigeria and I'm like, yes. I need to make the time. Oh, wow. I think you should. <laughs> it, it, it'd, be, it'd be good fun. But the thing is with, with Nigeria, because I'm Nigerian as well, with Nigeria, everyone's Nigeria is different. So hopefully your friends have got some good stuff to show you because it's such a big country and it's diverse as well. Now, the, the the womb room is the business. Give us a brief intro into what you do and um, let's dive into it. So we kind of do a couple of different things, but the main kind of focus really is on supporting women to understand their bodies, understand their reproductive well-being and use that information to empower them to make the best just decisions and choices for their life in terms of their career, their relationships and accessing healthcare and reducing health inequalities. But we, we launched an event series last year to provide women with safe spaces that allow them to be vulnerable and share their reproductive health experiences with conditions like polycystic ovaries, fibroids, which is most prominent within um, black women as opposed to other groups of women, um, endometriosis. And that has been, it was really successful. We're continuing it this year and we're starting it in Birmingham as well as London. Um, and we are, so at those events, basically, we have a panel of professionals who work across different parts of the women's health sector. And we always discuss or highlight a different topic 
um, and the audience can ask questions at any point in the night. We do activities to help people get to know each other and also understand their bodies and their health more. We usually have sponsors from other women's health organizations. And it's really kind of just like, it's like the ultimate girls night in, but you're learning about your body and your reproductive health. That's interesting because I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think these are conversations that should be had, especially around sort of women's health. In that, with you doing what you do in that space, what would you say is your area of expertise? <laughs> That's a good question. I wouldn't. I would say the thing that I'm best at is encouraging and empowering women to share their stories, but also getting people who wouldn't typically take women's reproductive health seriously to actually listen to what women have to say about the things they're experiencing. So we are starting some corporate work this year and we're working with some quite big HR and accountancy firms um, that are based all over the world. And part of the motivation for doing that was because one of the things that I kind of found repeatedly was women were not able to access the careers that they wanted or they weren't getting the support in work or they were in a position like me where they were basically forced out of their job by their employer because of their reproductive well-being. And I wanted to change how women are treated in the workplace and how reproductive health is understood because the bottom line is if you are a corporate or you're a company that has a commitment to almost an equal um, balance of men and women in your workplace, not supporting women's reproductive well-being and putting in place low-cost, flexible kind of working arrangements and other initiatives to do that is costing your business millions of pounds every single year. Um, and if you're a big company like a bank or a law firm or something like that, can you afford to lose £17 million a year? Wow with people taking time off sick, um, mm -hmm. just because, for example, you're not making flexible working available to women during different times of the month or to help support them to manage their workload effectively. So they're ignorant to the, to the plight of these women and what you do is get them to listen. Yeah. Now that takes <laughs> some skill. Is there a tactic that you use to achieve that? I think kind of being fearless. I don't even know if that's a tactic. I think it's more just a thing <laughs> just you yeah I think it's you have to know how to sell a story or sell yourself or whatever it is you're doing to somebody in a way that makes them listen by selling it on something that's important to them because when I had an opportunity um last year to pitch to the Royal Bank of Scotland and KPMG and Pinsett Masons I knew that they're not really going to be interested in all the warm and fuzzy stuff of we're supporting women and empowering women by um, helping to engage them with understanding their bodies and their reproductive well-being because if you're a business how does that benefit you if you if you're a, a corporate business exactly and it was only kind of when I when I pitched to them and I said the average woman is taking four days off every single year just for issues related to her reproductive well-being. And 46% of women say that they're too scared to reveal the real reason that they need days off to their employer. So they'll lie and they'll say that it's about other things because they don't think they'll be taken seriously in the workplace. That was when I think the penny dropped that actually these companies employ hundreds of thousands of women all over the world. So how much is that costing us? 
every single month or every single year. And I think that was the thing that made them pay attention. Wow, that's awesome. Now it, it kind of it, it paints a picture, and you, you know you're telling stories. Let's keep that going because now it's starting to come full circle in my head to think. Hold on, some women can't even talk about this because of the stigma that people put around it. So you know what you're doing. I um, salute you because it's a conversation that we should be having. Why is it you feel the need to do what you're doing to help these women? I think primarily it's driven by by personal experience and the things that I'm living with every day. So in 2011, um, when I was going into, I was still halfway through my first year of uni, um, I had a coil fitted and that caused me to get pelvic inflammatory disease. And I went to the hospital and nobody would remove the coil because they were worried that they were going to perforate my womb. So I had to live with that inflammation, that pelvic inflammation for a month. After I had the coil removed, the cyst, they found that there was a cyst growing on my um, right ovary and it just carried on growing and growing and growing. And within about four months, it had grown to the same size as a baby at nine months of gestation. So I was walking around with this giant cyst looking like nine months pregnant. And I kept, I had to suspend my studies at uni. Um, I was in A&E every other night of the week. And I think it only really dawned on me how serious um, my situation was when I went to a walk-in center because I was in so much pain and the doctor said to me that the cyst on my ovary was so big that it was starting to tort which means it's twisting and essentially disconnecting and that if it did that then it would rupture and I would just die of septicemia before an ambulance could get to me and that was I think the point that I was like this is literally life-threatening I was quite fortunate in that I was able to pay to go and see a private consultant. She, I saw her on the Friday and she did my surgery on the following Wednesday. And that £180 that I spent on that appointment was the best money that I've ever spent because it literally saved my life. And she said to me after I came out of my surgery that they'd had to remove my right ovary and fallopian tube because they drained five litres of fluid from the cyst and it had got so big that it had wrapped the fallopian tube around itself, completely destroying it. And that if I had managed to even live to my original surgery date, which was scheduled for July, I would have had to have a full hysterectomy because the weight of the cyst was completely crushing my uterus and my other ovary. And when I came out of hospital, bearing in mind I was only 19, there was no support. There was no counselling support. There was no real conversation about what the long-term impact of um, having such a serious operation was on my mental health, my emotional health, my physical health moving forward, my ability to have children if I wanted to have them. I was pretty much left to my own devices. So I started blogging about my experiences because I kind of found that I had, I kind of had a bit of a breakdown because I didn't really know how to cope with what I was going through. And um, I started blogging about my experiences and that was really how the womb room started. And it kind of just spiraled from there. Here we are now. <laughs> but the thing is, as you were telling the story, Sashan, I'm not going to lie. I was just feeling pain, like in my belly. I'm just like, ouch. Since starting the womb room, the business, have you had any low points that you can hold on to and think, oh, wow, why did I even do this? Take us there. Tell us the story. So when we when we first kind of started, we, I had funding for 
the business from a social enterprise funder, Unlimited, and they were very generous. And initially they gave us £3,000 and then they gave us another seven or £8,000, I think, in funding. And the additional funding was because the blog that I'd started was getting so much traction. I had like 20,000 people a day visiting it. And what I wanted oh, wow. to do was really... I know even I was surprised. I was like, I can't believe all these people want to listen to <laughs> yeah, me. Good numbers. But uh, what I wanted to do was improve what we were able to provide for women online and essentially create a comprehensive online resource for women to get all the information that they would need to manage their reproductive well-being wherever they were in the world. Because a lot of the people who were visiting the blog were from like Nigeria and um, parts of Southeast yeah. Asia. And I was conscious that it was important to improve like what we were able to offer them. Like blog posts is not enough. Yeah. So we built this brand new website. It was like all singing, all dancing. And the day before it was supposed to go live, somebody hacked into it. And oh, the no. two years worth of work that I'd done up until that point was just gone. And I didn't have any more money to start from scratch. Everything that I'd done, I'd lost. Um, and I think it really knocked my confidence because it was also during my final year of uni and I had like a, a month research trip in Singapore and my dissertation to write. So those took precedent because my mom was like, listen, you're the first person in the family to go to uni, <laughs> like not completing your degree is not, yeah. not an option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I kind of put all my efforts into those things instead and left the womb room and didn't really do anything with it and I think that was a real low point for me because I think it really impacted my my self-esteem and it made me feel like was what I was doing really that purposeful like did I have the energy and the heart to start from scratch because I think that's really humbling when you've built something to a point and then you have to start from nothing again <laughs> it's just it, it knocks you doesn't it what, what what steps did you take i mean obviously that di didn't stop you because you're doing your thing what what steps did you take to get out of that and you know keep keep it going i think i really threw myself into my dissertation at uni um as a way of maintaining my interest in reproductive health so i studied geography but i did my dissertation on the psychosocial impacts that reproductive health problems have on young women's lives and identities and how they construct relationships with other people as a result of their experiences. And that was really insightful. One, because it made me feel like, okay, actually all this stuff that I've done up until this point has been purposeful. Um, two, it made me feel like I wasn't alone because other women that I was interviewing had similar experiences to me. And I decided that when I graduated from uni, what I wanted to do in order to be able to do my business justice was working other businesses um, to see how they operate because I didn't have any idea how to run a business. I had this like blue sky dream that I could provide all these services completely free. I had no real idea how I was going to make the business economically sustainable. Yeah, I think I was living in a bit of a dream world. And so I threw myself into working for other companies, managing different health projects, working to support young people who were socially disadvantaged so I could understand how to run a business effectively but I think the thing that I actually took away from working for other companies was how not to run a business wow. and I think that was the most wow. valuable thing that I took 
from working for other companies was all the things that I wouldn't do as an employer, all the things that I wouldn't want to do in terms of running an organization and making that sustainable and ethical in the work that we're doing. That's interesting because one thing I want to try to take away from that is you actually went and learned the craft. So you went and worked for someone and honed your skills and learned how not to run a business. And obviously you've used those skills to build on, you know, your passion. And here we are, the womb room. That's awesome. Now you touched on this earlier when you talked about talking to the HR people at RBS and KPMG and, you know, the penny dropping thinking, okay, hold on. When was it though? Was it that moment solely or was there another moment where you thought to yourself, do you know what? This is a business. I'm going to go and do it. I think really my light bulb moment was I already had a warm relationship with Ernst & Young because I had a mentor there. And I thought, let me just take a chance and email them and ask them if they'd be happy to support some of the work that we're doing next year. And I sent this email and I didn't expect to hear anything back. And they were like, yeah, we'd be more than happy to support you. Tell us what you need. And I was like, wow. wow. So I went back to, I'm on a business program called Entrepreneurial Spark with NatWest. And I went back to my enabler at NatWest and I was like, Ernst & Young have said that they're going to give me this support. And this is amazing because Ernst & Young are like the market leader. Like everybody looks to them to see what they're doing. And he said, to me he was like well we've got an opportunity for you to pitch to um, the bank and pitch to their partners for the entrepreneurial spark program to ask for help or support do you want to take the opportunity and I was like yeah sure and at the time I still didn't have anything to pitch to them and up until like three hours before I did that pitch I probably shouldn't even admit that but up until three hours before I did that pitch I still had no idea what it was that I was going to ask for at the end of my pitch and I had a little think and I kind of like had a little mind map with my friend because I was really freaking out and she was just like well what is it that you think that you can offer them? And when I break it down and I looked at all the research that I was done, I was like, well, we can offer them training. We can offer them research and consultancy. Um, we can offer them support and training and engagement days for their staff. Like there's loads of things that we can offer to corporates to help them to understand why reproductive well-being is an issue in their workplace so I did this pitch um and at the end I think at the start of the pitch I don't really think that they were that interested in my business it was only when we got to talking about the numbers that was when they started listening and that was encouraging because there was only one woman sitting in that room um other than me so I knew that I had to appeal to what male directors and senior managers in the business were really looking at and that was really about how much money they're making how efficient are their teams working um and that was i think that was the moment i realized this is the thing that can make us financially sustainable and we can take a percentage of the money that we get from working with corporates and other businesses and we can use that to fund education for the next generation of young women who are going to be working for these companies and looking to them as an employer that's awesome. <laughs> you've actually taken us there. The steps you've taken, turn it into a profitable business. You're actually making money doing it. Now, with the corporates, I'll say that's your bread and butter, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what other arms do, have you got going forward, the womb room? 
Yeah. So um, we launched the event series in September mm-hmm. to provide women with safe spaces. So that event series is called Real Talk and we're launching it in Birmingham this year. We're also going to be running training days for businesses that they can kind of come on um, and we'll give them tools and a little bit of research on the proficiency of their teams that they can take away. I do sometimes I write like feature pieces or I do freelance work for other organizations to help them with their kind of creative and marketing strategies. But I'm really interested kind of moving forward. There's so many things that I want to do. Um, But one of the things that I'm really interested in is we're currently building. I'm interested in how we use tech to improve women's lives as well. So we're building a discovery platform that will allow people to search for any consultant or specialist clinic or counselling service or charity or support service that relates to your your health as a woman and your reproductive well-being you'll be able to search for that you'll be able to search for podcasts or videos or research that is being conducted by companies or universities to participate because one of the things that I'm really passionate about is not just I don't feel like you should do something like you never do anything as a monolith other people always support you and uplift you to get to wherever you are like nobody's ever achieved anything entirely on their own and I'm really passionate about how do we support not just other women but other women built women focused women founded businesses to improve their reach and access all of these communities of women um, that are suffering with conditions like endometriosis and polycystic ovaries to be able to find their services and how do we also improve access and equality in health research because one of the things that has kind of come out more recently is that a lot of medical research is biased because traditionally it was conducted with men and not women so a lot of treatments um that have been okayed are counterintuitive to women's well-being but because they were only tested on men, it's only recently been discovered that actually some of these treatments are harmful for women. The other thing is when it comes to um, medical research, research is not heavily focused on, particularly not in the UK, um, on black women or BAME communities. And so we're often left out of the conversation. And there's a lot of um, BAME researchers who are re- doing really good work into women's reproductive well-being and they just don't really get the funding because what they're doing isn't considered important and a lot of research that is carried out women from our communities are not involved in it they're not involved in that conversation and that research and I want to provide a space where we can marry those two things together so black academics who are doing great work in this field can access a community of of women to participate in their research and women all over the world can access research to participate in so that their voices are actually heard wow <laughs> that's interesting it seems like you're doing a lot and i hear in your voice when you talk about these things you're super passionate about them now what's one thing that you're working on now amongst the the many that's actually got you buzzing and raring to go i would say the event series to be honest because it's a space that we can connect with women um 
and really allow them to be vulnerable and kind of share their stories. That's really exciting for me because I think it, hearing women's stories and hearing women say, I really value the work that you're doing. I think that this is important because I've never been able to access a space like this. That validates everything that I do. Oh, that's awesome. You should be super proud. <laughs> that's great. And like I said, these conversations should be had. People tend to not want to talk about these things. And I'm glad we're having these conversations again for what you do. I salute you. But Sashan, it's time to take you straight into the lion's den, my sister. Are you ready? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. It's quick fire questions. I throw them at you. And as you come back, we put the lions to bed. Eh? The first question. What is the best African saying you've ever heard? In the moment of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build dams, which is a Nigerian proverb. Deep! <laughs> Could you say that again, please? <laughs> yep. In the moment of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build dams. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> You're bringing the heat. Now, um, before you built your brand, we obviously talked about the, the health problems they had to overcome and then building the womb room off of the back of that. But before you went into business um, in general, what was holding you back from building your brand? Um, I think it's fear. I think fear is multifaceted. It holds you back, but it also propels you forward. But I think it's recognizing that being afraid of something isn't necessarily a good enough reason not to go ahead and do it. Because if you don't do it, who else is going to? And realistically, I think I was afraid of pioneering change because it's a lot of responsibility. But I didn't ever want to live with the regret of not trying. That's crazy. And that fear, it's, it's something that it comes up a lot on the show when you say what's on your it's fear. And the, the, the only thing I want to try to take away from there, it's okay to be afraid. But if you just make that fear push you from behind as opposed to hold you back, yeah. and it, it then starts, you know, happening. So thanks for taking us there. Social media. Do you do a lot of social media? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> what is your, <laughs> which one's your social media platform of choice and uh, why? My preference is Instagram. My friend keeps telling me that I should really move and do more on Twitter. But I find mm. that Instagram is a better way of engaging. Instagram and Facebook are a better way of engaging our audience because our core demographic. So the average age of women who we engage with is 25. So most of them are on Instagram. And if you've got engaging and attractive content that you're putting out, continuously you can really build a community on Instagram in a way that I don't think you you do in the same way on Twitter <laughs> I'll say um I know your friend's saying do stuff on Twitter as as much as you want to do stuff on Twitter Instagram is probably where the most attention is right now in the social media space um so yeah I'll say stick to Instagram <laughs> uh, that's crazy because um, I do a lot on Instagram as well it's my platform of choice Daily routines. Let's talk daily routines, Shashan. Um, For me, it's meditation. I take 10 to 15 every morning to meditate before doing anything. Have you got a daily routine that you do that contributes to your success? Well, eight hours of sleep. <laughs> That's my thing. Eight hours every day? Yeah, because, wow. I, have, because I have stage four endometriosis, mm -hmm. which is it's an inflammatory condition. So I get pelvic inflammation. I get inflammation in my hips and my knees a lot. 
if I don't get eight hours of sleep, I can't, not only can I not focus, like it's like my body can't function properly. And then I just get a lot of pain. So I try to make sure insofar as is physically possible that I get eight hours of sleep every single night, because that's what I know that I need in order to, to be able to perform properly and do my business justice. Eight hours of sleep. I envy you. Obviously, um, it's it's <laughs> I, I struggle uh, with sleep. I don't I don't know what to do. But yeah, that's awesome. Um, books. You read a lot, do you? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mostly read books about women's health. Obviously. Okay. If you were to recommend one book for the tribe to check out, so the women, the tribe, and the young girls in the tribe that want a book that would help them know more about their reproductive health. Which would it be and why? Oh, gosh, there's so many. But I think as a good starter, like an easy to read book that's quite quick, I'd read um, Sweeten in the Pill by Holly Grigsball, which is kind of it's kind of revolutionary. The book looks at how the pill has been marketed to women for decades and um, how we've basically been lied to about how um positive the pill is in for, for our health and our well-being and it uncovers how big pharmaceutical companies who produce the pill have spent hundreds of millions of dollars trying to hide the fact that the pill has killed women um it has made some women severely disabled as a result of the interaction that it's had with their body and other conditions that they have and actually how the pill has contributed to an increase in mental health problems like depression and anxiety for women and psychosis in some cases. Yeah, I would I would read that. And it's Sweetening the Pill yeah. by who? Holly Grigsball. Well, I am going to link it up and get the tribe to check it out for sure, for sure, for sure. Now, it's an absolute pleasure to let you know, Sashan, you've actually conquered the lion's den. <laughs> so you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> yes, yes. We're starting to wrap things up just now. It's an honor having you on the show. Thanks for jumping on. And for what you do, again, I salute you. But we'll end the show just now with a very deep question. It's the last question on the show. And the question is, if you had 24 hours to live just now, Sashan, what would you do? Uh, hmm. I think I'd probably spend it doing the things that I really love. So I'd go shooting, play, play a bit of piano, read books, spend it with my family, my many cats. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I would, I would spend it doing those things oh, that's crazy like i said it's an honor having you on we'll stay in touch whatever it is family now you know we're happy to help we'll amplify and just keep talking about this until people start to listen and you know how to get them to listen anyway that's your skill so keep doing what you're doing eh? we'll end it all now with you sharing a few words of wisdom and the best way that we can connect with you across digital words of wisdom okay i would say two things i would be conscious to never let anybody else's mediocrity hold you back from believing in the thing that you're doing, believing that what you're doing has purpose and preventing you from, from doing that because you're taking on another person's opinions because they're not brave enough to do what you're doing. And I think as a woman, I would say if you're a woman who wants to go into business or even a woman in the workplace, if you're struggling with your well-being, don't feel that you 
need to be silenced or that there's any shame in what you're experiencing or any shame in infertility or the things that you're going through because there's not and there's a lot of power in you sharing your story because when when you talk about it with somebody else what you'll find is there's probably 10 other women around you in your close circle who are struggling with the same thing or have been through something similar and everybody's suffering in silence don't be afraid wow that's deep <laughs> awesome and the best way that we can connect with you Sasha? oh um so all of our social media is facebook twitter instagram is at the womb room um but you can also visit our website which is the womb that is awesome. Like I said, I will link it up in the show notes and get the tribe to check it out. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but for <laughs> what you do, Sashan, I salute you one more time. And then uh, we'll catch up soon, eh? Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Hey, tribe. That was another eye opening episode. Kicking in with your man, Clef, and the one and only Sashan, Farron, and Joseph. Head over to the socialafricanshow.com for detailed show notes. There's links to connect with Sashan. There's links to all the resources we talked about, including the books. Now, coming up next on the Social African Show is another awesome entrepreneur who's also a footballer and is killing it in the fashion space. So keep your luck this way, Tribe. And I'll catch you later. Peace!